Stay informed and ahead of the game. The Radio Tab Breakfast Show. Well, it's time to do as uh, we do each uh, Tuesday morning, and that is catch up with uh, Leo Schlink to talk all matters tennis and horse racing. Morning, Leo. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Andrew. How are you? Oh, fighting fit, thank you. And, uh, Leo, we might go to tennis first. And, uh, well, a very popular winner on the women's side of things in Miami and a regular winner on the men's side of things. Yes, it was very much so. Um, on the women's side, um, we just had someone who we're very, very familiar with and, and Petra Kritova. And um, it's been a while since she's won a tournament like this. I think you have to go back to Madrid in 2018. Um mm for her to uh, win an event like this. But this is the ninth one, um, the WTA 1000 title that she's won. And to beat uh, Elena uh, Rybakina, who is, uh, she, well, she was on a 13-match winning streak. And the way she did it was um, really impressive that uh, the first set tiebreak um, went 16-14, um, went for 22 minutes. And um, obviously the winner of that was going to have a huge advantage. And then uh, Petra rolled through the second set 6-2. So... Um, Really, really good result for her, and she moves back into the top 10, 30th career title. Um, so a really, really big tournament for her. Leo, uh, we've said this before, when Ash Barty retired, we sort of wondered who would uh, yeah, rise to the top, and and we know Iga Schwantek was the number one and looked as though Iga was going to dominate, but it's being shared around, and I think that's great for women's tennis as far as titles are concerned. Absolutely, Paul. Yeah, it's, um, I, I don't think we quite appreciated how dominant Ash was mm. in um, her time. And um, she's shown that with the people that she dominated um, or had the edge over and how they came out and um, we've seen it with Eager and um, now with Elena. Um, she's been someone that has been a bit of a sleeper there. She's, she's 23. Um, she's a Wimbledon champion. She lost the Australian Open final this year, but has the game uh, that is pretty much um, being compared to Serena Williams in terms of a serve. And a serve is just incredible. It's going to get out of a lot of trouble. And um, she's someone who's, I'm, I'm really pleased to see, consolidating what she showed at Wimbledon last year because I think at the time everyone thought, well, hang on, what's going on here? And then we saw the Australian Open, another big run. And we've seen her uh, do it at Indian Wells and now make a big run again in Miami. So um, she's obviously standing up. So we're, we're seeing, though, a spread around and, as we head to the, the clay court season, uh, which gets underway um, this week and builds all the way to Rome, um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how Rybakina goes on the slower surfaces. Uh, and we know with Petra, uh, a dual Wimbledon champion at 33, it's just great to see her back. But um, how will they all fare now on the clay? Well, I'm interesting you mentioned uh, Kvitova and Rybakina, both former Wimbledon champions, and Wimbledon have made their decision on uh, Russian and Belarus players. Uh, Leo, they'll be allowed back in for uh, this year's tournament, but with some caveats in terms of signing neutrality declarations, whatever that is, I don't know, and not receiving any support from the uh, rogue states of Russia and Belarus. It's sort of, uh, they've sort of wiggled their way around to letting them back in, haven't they? They have, and th this was sort of been building for a bit. There were the vibes are coming out that the All England Club uh, was pretty unhappy with the way that it all filtered um, out of last year's tournament with no rankings points, and Russian players couldn't play, and Belarusian players couldn't uh, compete either. And now they've come up with this solution, and I don't think, um, apart from players from those countries who are allowed back into play, that um, you, you read the comments of Petra Kritova saying, well, I don't think they should be there. 
um, and she is the least hostile player mm-hmm. on the tour. Um, so it's um, it's a really sort of delicate one um, for the All England club, and I think it maybe underscores how much of an issue uh, British tennis was facing in general with um, the rankings point situation um, and also pressure from the the two tours about um, if you guys, uh, well, the, you know, the ATP tour and the WTA uh, tour, regardless of what they think, they have to represent all players. And it got to a situation there was a bit of a standoff and if uh, the Russian players and the Belarusian players felt persecuted and some of them are, are really anti-war, the tours are are obliged to to support and represent them. And if they weren't, there's a chance that there was pressure building that some of these tournaments that are owned by the ATP and the, or um, staffed and, and basically given the product, that they would be taken out of Britain, and which would have been disastrous for the development of the game there and also for the, the grass court circuit. So I think all those levers have meant that Wimbledon's come up with the solution it has, and I'm not sure that it is absolutely the perfect solution. Garbini Muguruza, as former Wimbledon champion, uh, known all around the world, looks as though she might be giving it away shortly. Now she's 29. She said she's taking a break until the summer, but she hasn't played since January. So where does she find herself at at the moment? Yeah, it's been a real struggle for her, for such a talented player, uh, to get back to those heights. And um, when when she broke through and and beat Serena. At Wimbledon, then she had a, a French Open success as well. Um, she literally had the world at her feet, and um, she, you've seen the struggles with her uh, on the court, trying to get back and replicate those successes. And um, it's it's been it's been just a struggle for her, a battle the whole way. And she's tried different things with coaching, etc., and never quite got back to where she was. And um, it is a really sad thing to say because uh, to see because mm. she was a player. Uh, on the court, never given to histrionics, just got on with it and a, and a lovely player to watch and a, and a really good person to deal with um, and just not being able to get back there. Um, and she's, I think that when she looks back, if this is the end for her, she can look back with pride at what she achieved um, because she was just, in a, you know, on her day, um, she was a devastating player and it's all about the mind. Um, physically, there's been none of the injuries um, that would cut her down to this level. It's, it's all been uh, what's going on upstairs and um, sadly it's just been um, a, an incessant struggle for her. She hasn't been able to get through it and um, she takes a break. She's only 29 and if a break could be six months or 12 months, she's still young enough to come back and have another crack. Mm. Let's hope she does, because when she was good, she was really good, wasn't she? Uh, she was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And just uh, before we perhaps uh, leave tennis, um, uh, Yannick Sinner and Alcaraz had uh, a very good semi-final in Indian Wells. Uh, Sinner got on top of him in uh, Miami to get to the final, but it was an old stager, if you can call him that, Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> I thought I thought he'd been quiet, but I see that's his fourth title of the year, so not so quiet. He's still there and right at the top of the game. Yeah, he's just rolling along. Mr. Consistent, that's, uh, I think he's 24 wins from 25 matches and the only time he's lost is to Carlos Alcaraz. But that semi-final you talk about, Andrew, that's, um, people were comparing it to, um, Rafa and, and Roger and the intensity and the, just the swings and roundabouts in it. And, um, Yannick Sinner had problems with cramps when he got to the final when he, he ran into a brick wall and Daniel Medvedev, when he returns, uh, he's standing almost in the next suburb. Um, it's just like there's, you know, you've either got to ace him, got to find mm. a way to, to ace him, or you're going to be in a long rally. And he just loves this stuff. And 
the season he's compiling is just incredible. He's won uh, Dubai, Doha, Rotterdam, now Miami, um, and he also made the final of Indian Wells. So um, fantastic result there. Um, the overall result means that um, Novak Djokovic goes back to world number one. Um, Carlos Alcaraz um, has shown that he's human, and Yannick Sinner, uh, under Darren Kale's tutelage, is just continuing to develop and. For me, it's only a matter of time until he breaks through. It might take him another year or so or whatever, but um, he's the real deal and, and so, is Alcar- so is Alcaraz. So when the time comes to pass the baton completely from our golden generation, um, when, whether, whether that might be for Novak or Rafa, when Rafa's due back soon, uh, the, the sport is in very good hands. Leo, you may mention there of the French Open. It starts on, on May 28, so we're still seven or eight weeks away. Tab has Nick Kyrgios in the market at $26. He doesn't usually play on the clay, doesn't particularly like it. We haven't seen him at the French Open for the last couple of years. But at this stage, is he still going there? That's obviously the plan. I think that's the intent. Um, It's going to depend on his knee. And um, I think the clay court season will be a platform for him, whatever he does uh, over these next seven weeks or so, um, to getting back onto the grass and in the lead-up to Wimbledon. Um, So that that will be his his intention. been very quiet on that front at the moment. Um, so um, you look around this week and, and we start the clay court season. Um, we've got our players spread all over the place from Houston in the States uh, to uh, Esther Real. We've got um, also to Marrakesh and players, but at the moment, uh, Nick's sidelined. So he's going to have to be really careful with that because he's at the stage of his career where he's never liked to play a lot. And if he's got a knee problem, um, he's going to have to be doubly careful. So uh, with the French Open, we'll get a really clearer picture of overall on the men's side um, with Monte Carlo coming up next week. And um, I, I th- it's going to be intriguing to, send, to see when uh, Rafa is fit enough to come back from the hit problem he's got. It's incredible when they go to all these places because then they rattle off uh, Nadal's record <laughs> and it's uh, 13 Monte Carlos, yes, 11 Sarasas. Just keep you going and going and going. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, Leo, just moving uh, to horse racing, I mean, we know you're over there in Hong Kong and over here we can't seem... There's very much a Hong Kong element. Zach Purton comes over here and sort of wins Group 1 for fun and uh, Joe Marrera came and uh, is doing a stint down here and won as well. Did you watch the championships from Hong Kong? What did you make of it? I did, yeah. It was um, just a shame with the, the weather on the day. Um, looked like all week it was going to be a soft five, a perfect track, and in the end it became a, a bit of a bog, a heavy eight. Um, but Marrera and uh, Purton, it, it felt like they were, could have been at Chartino Happy Valley um, <laughs> with the way that things panned out. And uh, Zach almost got a, a Group 1 double again, uh, finishing second on, on Gigi uh, Kick. Mm. Um, so uh, he, he came back to Chartino. On Sunday, and um, I just uh, rolled out a double for fun. Um, so um, he's he's flying, and uh, he made it clear uh, down in Sydney that he missed his old mate. Um, and you you look at the um, the championship up here when I, th- I think he's got 110 wins for the season so far, and Vincent Ho, who's in second place, is in the mid 50s, um, and that underscores his dominance. Um, but I think from a competitive point of view. There's no doubt that uh, Zach misses having Joe around. I'm not sure the stress levels are, are quite as extreme, but um, they would have had a bit of fun catching up on Saturday. And Leo Benno Young's brought up 300th, his 300th winner in Hong Kong over the weekend as well. Yeah, great success story. Um, he's been super consistent. Benno's 64, so the mandatory retirement age, unless they're hitting championships or hitting other big numbers at the top end, um, he's... He's facing retirement in the next couple of seasons, but he's doing a f- fantastic job. He's the leading 
dirt track trainer up here uh, this season. He, he seems to excel with the horses on the dirt. Um, and he's been in the system for a long time. Former jockey. Um, he then went off and was assistant trainer to uh, several trainers, but uh, most notably to John Size for a long period of time. And you can just see with the way he goes about it, there's a lot of, of John Size and what he does with his horses are really consistent and he, he takes them through the grades. And um, this season has been a, one where there's a few big landmarks being hit with uh, Tony Cruz has had 1,000 winners at, at Sha Tin. Um, he's, a, he's the legend of Hong Kong racing and, and Zach got to 1,500. Um, so Ben Owen, numerically, doesn't sound that much, mm. but he was late to uh, training in, in terms of having a full licence for himself. He's assistant trainer for a long time, but since he's been given his licence in about 2013-14, every single year he punches out around about 30 to 35 winners, and um, he's one of the most consistent trainers here. You, you made mention there he's former jockey. What's the uh, the apprentice system like there in Hong Kong, say, paired to, compared to Australia? You, you bring us a lot of insights about what goes on there. So how do the apprentices go about their job? Well, um, Tony Cruz, is, um, he was in 1972, they started the, the apprentices school here and um, they had them basically living in the, the grandstand at, at uh, Happy Valley back in the day. To what it is now, it is just a world-class facility out at Sha Tin and uh, they have the academy that's part of the development uh, talent school that they have out there. And um, you'll see um, young riders like, uh, Jerry Chow, Matthew Chadwick, uh, Vincent Ho, they've all gone overseas to ride after being trained in Hong Kong. They learned from Felix Kurtzi, uh, the great South African jockey who um, was, uh, you know, he's, he's famed in, in Hong Kong for his deeds with Silent Witness. But they've got this uh, academy, this school that um, develops from all facets of riding. But it's also not just about riding, it's about education, um, it's training them for for life, if things don't work out as a jockey, they can go there if they want to become a strapper. Um, lots of different aspects of racing. And if an apprentice um, is um, making good progress, uh, typically they go to Australia and ride. Um, there's a couple in South Australia at the moment doing really well. Ellis Wong is down there. Um, and they've got to get um, the experience before they're even considered to come back. And uh, that's what's happening at the moment. Um, we've had Jerry Chow go down there and do really well. Um, and now he's riding up here, and um, we've got several, like, you look at the top Chinese riders, just about all of them, the homegrown riders, just about all of them have ridden down in Australia as part of what they were doing, and Angus Chung is the latest one to come back, and, and um, they come back, they get a 10-pound claim, which helps them uh, get rides, and um, they, if they're good enough, they outride that claim, and uh, and on they go, so it's a, it's a very strong development plan, and I guess at a time when the various jurisdictions around the world are struggling for uh, lightweight oppressed riders. Um, th- there's a very obvious opening there for Hong Kong riders and they come back and if they're good enough, uh, they make it um, and they, they blend into the system. And uh, from there, they can go into being an assistant trainer and ultimately they can do what Benno Young's done um, and become a trainer. We had a similar story like that, Andrew, with Nassim Dilmi, who now trains with Godolphin. Mm. He told us how he went through the French system, Leo. Yeah, it's amazing, but the, all these academies are coming through now and uh, giving people skills. And um, the one here um, is just, and it can be through Godolphin. Um, the one here is not just for uh, riding aspect as well; it's, it's for all areas of it, and um, goes into equestrian as well. There's a um, a big complex uh, owned by the club up here called Bees River, and it's um, got uh, it's very much equestrian where a lot of retired racehorses go, and the members can go there and. 
they can ride their horses or have the horses ridden for them and these horses live out a fantastic life out there and it's all part of the training that goes back to the uh, the talent um, academy here and um, you you see with Vincent Ho he's probably the, the poster boy of the modern generation of it uh, Tony Cruz very much so the overall but with Vincent um, you know he'll go and ride in Japan again in the off season and it all started in Hong Kong where when he turned up as a hopeful um, probably 15 years ago and they have a, a measurement system. He was too tall, he was too heavy, and basically was was the was told that, you know, you're going to have to work hard to make it. And here he is uh, down the track, multiple Group 1 winner, um, and sitting second in the Hong Kong Jockeys Premiership uh, in front of guys like Hugh Bowman, Sylvester De Silva, and behind a bloke called Zach Purton. Mm-hmm. Uh, just goes to show if someone's prepared to work hard enough, they can make it. Body shaming, Leo. Too tall, too heavy. And look at him now. He's just, uh, he's, he'd be probably the, well, they're all super fit, these guys. And, um, Vincent's a vegetarian and, um, so particular about everything he does and can pick up rides in Japan. And he's in the off season is also going to ride in England. So the body shaming didn't finish him. <laughs> Good on you, Leo. Always a pleasure, mate. I love those stories about behind the scenes, what goes on in Hong Kong racing. Really appreciate it, mate. We'll chat next week. Good on you, Paul. Thanks, Andrew.